Welcome to UM's Connected Podcast. It's a resource offering spiritual formation in the Wesleyan tradition through a metaverse community. I'm your host, Steve Harper. Last week we had the inaugural episode of the podcast, which gave you kind of an overview of UM's Connected and what our vision and mission is and how we're going to attempt to resource that. We spoke about uh, our heritage as Wesleyans in the word connection, and I pointed out last week that that's a very special word in the Wesleyan tradition. John Wesley often referred to the Methodist connection, and so when we decided to try to manifest that in the 21st century as the new United Methodist Church emerges, the word connection became one that we decided to use to describe ourselves. So what I want to do in the podcast coming up, the next, uh, I think it's four or five, I want to talk about the word connection and look at it from different vantage points. Today I want to talk about the heritage of connection. What was going on in John Wesley's mind? Uh, Why did he think it was a good word to describe the early Methodists? Uh, those roots will bear fruit in UM's Connected in the 21st century. So before we look at UM's Connected as it is today, uh, we're going to spend some time looking at what that word meant in Wesley's mind himself. We begin with the nature of the connection. And what we find quickly is that Wesley used it in a biblical sense. He was thinking of biblical community. He knew the Old Testament, where God referred to the children of Israel as the people of God. He knew the New Testament, where Paul talked about the body of Christ. See, these words, people and body, they're connected words. They're communal words. They they are words that link people together. And so, it's not unusual at all, then, that John Wesley referred to the people called Methodist. Because wherever they were, and whoever they were, they were part of a connection. Because early Methodism was a manifestation of biblical community. That's the main thing to say about the nature of connection. But when you look at it in uh, further, you see that it's ecumenical. Uh, some of you will already know that Methodism in Wesley's lifetime was never actually a denomination the way that it is today. It was a movement. Next week we're going to talk about Methodism as a connection movement, but it was ecumenical in that you could be a Quaker, you could be a Lutheran, you could be a member of the Church of England, a Presbyterian, a Puritan, and be a Methodist because it was a movement aimed to enrich your faith and form it regardless of where you happen to be a member. UM's Connected is ecumenical as well. Now, it may not sound that way because the first two letters are UM's, United Methodists Connected, but but in the spirit of the Wesleys, the movement, as you know, is open access. Uh, we're a metaverse community. Anyone can log on and, and uh, be part of everything we have to offer. That's intentional. Even our Facebook group is not a private group because we're not trying to be a private movement. 
Christianity tends to um, become less than it's meant to be when it becomes a kind of secret society. Uh, Wesley didn't want that of the early Methodists, and we're not going to have it in UM's Connected either. Another thing about the nature of that community is that it's inclusive. Um, when you look at early Methodism, you see that it's made up of all kinds of people. Uh, age and race and class and station, um, all of these things were part of early Methodism. In fact, the only, the, the, the only requirement was to have a desire to flee the wrath to come. You know, you just were a seeker after God. You wanted to head toward the light. And Wesley said, if that's who you are, come on in. And that's what we're saying in UM's Connected. We want to be an inclusive community. But it's also a nature that's formative. Um, we believe that grace accepts us as we are, but doesn't leave us as we are. And so in the Wesleyan movement, there was prevenient grace and converting grace and sanctifying grace and glorifying grace. You're probably already familiar with the flow of grace. I often refer to it as awakening, attachment, and advancement. Through prevenient grace, we awaken to God. Through converting grace, we attach to God. And through advancement, we grow in our relationship with God. It's a formative community. It's, it's not static or stagnant. It's, it's dynamic. And all of us, to use the Jeremiah image, we're all wet clay on the potter's wheel. One last thing we can say today is that it's pastoral community. Wesley said that he wanted the Methodists to watch over one another in love. We want UM's Connected to be able to do that too. We're already having conversations about how we can provide care to people whose congregations have closed or disaffiliated and they're sort of homeless, people without a country, if you will. What kind of pastoral care can you give through cyberspace? Uh, we're having conversations about that. We're not ready to talk specifically yet, but it's important even in this second episode of UM's Connected Podcast to say that we want to find ways to watch over one another in love in the 21st century in the same way that Wesley wanted to watch over one another in the early Methodist movement. So we're a connection. Uh, it's part of our nature it's part of our DNA, if you will. Another thing we can say about our heritage are the means of connection. In other words, how do we go about doing this? If, if we want to be biblical, if we want to be ecumenical, inclusive, formative, and pastoral, then how do we go about doing it? We can see in early Methodism some of the ways that uh, the Wesleys did this. I'm not going to mention all of them today, but just the highlights. The first I want to describe is formative structure. Now, I've already used the word formative in the nature. And so when I say formative structure, that's an intentional link between the nature and the means. Um, years ago, I had a conversation with Dr. Albert Outler. Some of you will know of him. He was one of the leading Wesleyan scholars of the 20th century. And he and I became friends uh, later in our life. It's particularly he as, a, as an older man uh, when I was younger. And we, we talked about our love for the Wesleys, our love for the Wesleyan movement, and wanting to try to be instruments to, to help advance 
the cause of Christ through the Wesleyan tradition in our generation. Dr. Outler one day said to me um, words that I pass on to you only because they uh, strengthened me so much. He said, Steve, you've made a connection between Wesleyan theology and Wesleyan structure that you want to keep talking about as long as you can. You talk about prevenient, converting, sanctifying, glorifying grace in your book, The Way to Heaven. And I said, yeah, that's right. He said, you understand the order of salvation. And I said, well, I hope so. He said, now you also show in that book that you understand one of the geniuses of early Methodism was it had a structure for every kind of grace. Well, I was only beginning to see that uh, back in the 80s in sort of like a just very uh, dim sort of way. But I've been working on it ever since because Dr. Outler encouraged me to do so so many years ago. And what I want to start with is when you understand the nature of the connection as a formative connection, as a flow of grace, you see, prevenient grace that awakens us to God, converting grace that attaches us to God, advancing grace that matures us in the life of God. See, once you understand that, then it's a beautiful thing to see that the means of the connection starts with that very thing. Provenient grace was the society. Maybe as many as 40 or 50 people would gather together. And that's where uh, people of, of um, much faith, some faith, maybe even people of no faith, just seekers, just wanting to, to, to find life and truth and light and love wherever they could find it, gathered. And, and the society structure helped them awaken to that. It was already going on in them because they were made in the image of God. But the society helped make that brighter and fuller. The class meeting enabled them to attach to the Christian tradition. Most of the people who became Christians in Methodism did so in the class meeting, not in the society. Now, my friend Tom Albin has studied the class meeting movement in Ireland. He discovered that somewhere between six months or, or six weeks and six months, people would say, I've been a part of this group long enough that I want to declare publicly that I'm a follower of Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Grace that not only awakens us preveniently, but then converts us through justification and regeneration, two dimensions. We'll probably say more about uh, Wesleyan theology of grace on this podcast. But once we're awakened, then we say, that's what I want. I'm made for this. I want to attach myself to it. That was in the class meeting. Then the band meeting, which could be four to six people. It was not a large group, maybe eight. That's where you advanced in your faith. That's where um, the leader had the opportunity to take each person and to give them spiritual guidance and direction that was particularly appropriate for their stage of faith. Now, one more thing about the formative structure. It all leads into the church. Remember I said that the Methodist movement was not a denomination in Wesley's lifetime. It was not a church in Wesley's lifetime like we have become today. Like upwards of 80 to 90 different denominations around the world have their roots in the Wesleyan tradition. They are denominations. Well, Methodism wasn't that, but it was always connected to the church as a little church inside the big 
church. The Latin for it was ecclesiola in ecclesia. That's the way Wesley understood it. He called himself a Church of England man. So anytime you look at early Methodism, don't think of it as a substitute church. Don't think of it as, you know, a way uh, to avoid church. It was a way to move into church, the body of Christ, the people of God, in the fullest biblical sense of that word. UM's Connected is aiming for that too. Uh, there's no way we can be a substitute church in, in the metaverse, in cyberspace. Um, we're going to be working to preserve the nature of church in, in everything that we say and do because that's the formative structure. But that's the beauty of early Methodism. They not only had a theology of grace, they had a structure for bringing it to pass. So we're having conversations uh, among ourselves in the ministry team about how we provide metaverse structures, cyberspace structures to awaken people, to help them attach their faith and to advance in it. All this is going to unfold because we're not even a month old yet, but we have a vision for a formative structure and we understand that theology has to become uh, structural, the, the, the word has to be made flesh, you see. You've got to have some place to do it, not just a mind or a heart to think about it. That leads, secondly, in the connection to an edifying environment. When you look into the societies and the classes and the bands, you find that it's a place people looked forward to going to. Um, I don't know where you are, what kind of background you have when you hear the word church. There are a lot of people who've become nuns and duns because it just ceased to be an attractive place for them. But not so in the early Methodist movement. People looked forward to their meetings. In fact, some of them would go to a society meeting, a class meeting, and a band meeting all in the same week. I mean, they just looked forward to being together, to being connected. When you look at these meetings, you see that a lot of it was about testimony. The Wesleys believed that iron sharpens iron, that that uh, fire in one person's life can ignite a flame of devotion in another person's life. So there were a lot of opportunities through conversation and, and witness for people to bear testimony to their faith and to do that in such a way that the newcomers to the group would say, wow, uh, I, I, I didn't know that faith could be like that. Uh, I want what you have. Uh, we must never underestimate the power of testimony because it can be formative and it can also be deformative. And unfortunately, we're seeing a toxic kind of Christianity today that's deforming people in the sense of saying, if that's the church, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And there were some people like that in early Methodism who'd had negative experiences with the institutional churches of their day. And Methodism was, was a place to go uh, to, uh, to get light and life and love when they had not been able to find it. But in terms of an edifying environment, testimony was a very important element of the means of Methodist connection. The other was instruction. In every group, whether it was a society, a class, or a band, you could see there was a way that the faith was taught. 
Wesley came out of the Anglican tradition where catechism was important. In fact, he even produced catechism of the Methodists. I mean, we've had a catechism. We don't use it now. We call it more confirmation. But there was a time when we even approached faith formation in a catechesis way. Uh, so every one of the groups edified in, in the sense of instruction. Wesley provided, for example, the explanatory notes on the New Testament. In the Old Testament, he provided the standard sermons so that even when he wasn't there, people had points of reference, they had content. Uh, he published tracts that they could study. Uh, all these kinds of ways that people could be taught in the faith. This uh, was the teaching function of the early church, and Wesley wanted that to be an early Methodism. Then, as I've already alluded, the means was support. Um, Methodism moved in to places that the church, for the most part, had abandoned. So people were economically and socially and uh, intellectually and uh, spiritually deprived. Wesley wanted early Methodism to, to reconstruct, to help people recover, to help people renew and restore and reform. So one of the, that element of watching over one another in love was very, very important. Wesley did things for children that the institutional church wasn't doing at his Kingswood school. Wesley did things for women uh, to help educate them and to, to restore their sense of dignity and self-worth as women made in the image of God. All kinds of ways that we can point to an edifying environment in early Methodism. The next thing we can say about the means is that it was a relational context. Now, most of the groups were geographic. In other words, you could get to them. You could ride your horse or take your wagon or you could walk to wherever your society class or band was meeting. That was intentional. Uh, ease of access uh, was part of the vision. Why make it hard for people to get what you have? I think this is one of the this is one of the things about technology today that we really ought to be taking advantage of. Um, I'm making this recording, but I have no idea who listened to it. But I know that it's not hard to do. See, uh, ease of access is part of a missional structure. Of course, we want people to be able to to be part of what we're saying and part of what we're doing. Why make that difficult or complicated? Uh, so Wesley didn't make getting to Methodism complicated. It was a geographic thing for the most part. Now, it was also, in, in some categories, it was kind of vocational. Uh, in the bands, men would meet with men and women would meet with women because there were parts of our gender that are formed when we have an opportunity to be in fellowship with each other. Um, the class and the societies, these were mixed gender. The bands often tended to be male and female because the Wesleys understood that men need to talk with men about some things. Women need to talk with women about some things. We would say today LGBTQ people need to be talking with each other about some things. So this whole idea of the band movement would, would be that, that kind of not geographical but also gender kind of oriented discussions that are part of faith formation. There's also the vocational dimension this was rare, but sometimes uh, Wesley would have people who had similar jobs talk to each other because they needed to say, how do we make our business Christian? What are the values that we can take from, from our Bible study into the workplace? See, 
So lawyers need to be talking to lawyers and doctors need to be talking to doctors and truck drivers need to be talking to truck drivers and homemakers need to be talking to homemakers. This is that relational context where faith is formed in the, in the context of interaction of all kind. And then it was sustained community. The class leader was supposed to visit the members weekly, see how they're doing. How is it with your soul? And John Wesley himself wrote letter after letter after letter. If you really want to see Wesley the pastor, read his letters. You can see how he worked with people uh, on a one-on-one individual basis. Okay, these are the means. Formative structure, edifying environment, relational context, sustained community. One last thing quickly. What was the purpose of all this? What's the purpose of a connection? We know it's nature, it's means. Why have it? What's, what's it all about? Well, it's about life. You're going to find that the Wesleyan tradition is life-oriented. It's a religion of the heart. And there's no organ of the body that's more connected to life than the heart, I suppose. We'll probably be saying more about a theology of life, a religion of the heart in future podcasts. But today, it's enough to just remind ourselves that the early Methodists wanted to experience life together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about it uh, in his day, and it's a text we often read as a contemporary classic, but it was part of the Wesleyan tradition from the very beginning. Uh, An inward experience, holiness of heart, Wesley called it. That was one of the purposes, the inward witness of the Spirit in our lives. But then the second purpose was the outward purpose, sometimes described as the three R's of Methodism. Reaching the marginalized, renewing the church, and reforming the nation. What Wesley summed up in holiness of life. So you've got the contemplative tradition in the life together, the inward part. You've got the action tradition in the holiness of life. And that was the purpose. It was not just to be a people who were becoming spiritually full, but a people who would overflow with the grace of God in the ways that we've talked about it today. So that's our heritage. Oh my gosh, we've said so much today, haven't we? You probably feel like you've been drinking from a fire hose. The good news is you can go back and listen to this in pieces if you want to and and have an opportunity to to, uh, process it uh, in not such uh, an overwhelming kind of fashion. But today I wanted you to catch the vision for the heritage of our connection. I wanted you to catch the vision for why John Wesley wanted the Methodist to use the word connection and to use it with a sense of vision and mission for who they were supposed to be. Well, thanks for listening today. Uh, tune in next week as we continue the journey. We're going to look at connection as a movement next week. Feel free to contact me at umsconnected at flumc.org and tell others about this podcast so that they can be part of it as well.